which has no body now but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the hands with which he blesses all the world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the eyes through which he looks compassion on this world. Yours are the hands. Yours are the feet. Yours are the eyes. You are his body. Well, good morning, everybody. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant. Welcome. I'm glad that you're here today. We spent the summer working on some of the most difficult topics that, that, that in, a lot of, in a lot of church worlds will not dare to touch, and we decided to go there. And following that, we've decided that we're going to actually press in and we're going to look at some other taboo topics, but more with regards to our personal following of Jesus and what that actually looks like. Because here's what I know. At the center of every single church is a committed core of people who are desperately trying to follow Jesus. Around that core is a congregation of people that are just kind of checking this whole thing out. And then around them is a crowd of people that are following from a distance. And I want you to know before we even get started over the next couple of weeks, I want to call you to the center of the circle. I want to call you to a higher level of commitment that you've ever gone to because I believe in these days that's where Jesus wants all of us to be. So instead of backing off and going, let's just take a break and call a timeout and, and, and do a series called Five Steps to Being Happy, uh, we're going to press even a little bit harder. You're like, oh boy, here we go. All right. I grew up in Canada, which means I played hockey because everybody in Canada plays hockey. That's the way it is. My childhood budding hockey career was interrupted when I was about nine years old because I got appendicitis. Appendicitis led to an appendectomy, which meant I missed most of a season. So the way it went that year is I played the first game, and then I disappeared. And then I showed up right towards the end of the season. And so it was no shock that when I disappeared, I'm sure Coach Powers thought, where in the world did Fishbook go? And for about half a second, because it wasn't that good. And then, then, then I suddenly show up again. I just show up again. Hey, Coach Powers, I'm here. I'm ready to play. I'm like, who are you? Like, Fishbook. Oh, okay. You know, and I'm sure he just remembered because of my strange last name. And that's probably the only thing that jogged his memory. But I showed up that day to play, and there was a problem. And I knew it was a problem right from the beginning. Coach Powers only brought enough jerseys, enough blue jerseys for his players. He had an extra player that day. So my only option was to wear a yellow jersey that he happened to have thrown in the back of his truck. Here was the problem. The team we were playing against was wearing yellow, all right? So I'm playing for the Westridge Community Center, but I'm wearing yellow. And the team from Valley View... They're wearing yellow. That is very confusing when you're playing hockey at that level, okay? I want you to know that this particular incident is burnt in my memory, not because of the jersey, but also because of another factor that was playing in, okay? I'd like to show you a picture of a modern hockey helmet, okay? 
Hopefully you can see that, right? If you're a parent who loves their child, this is what you buy for them, okay? You buy a helmet that completely encases their head, has face protection on top of it, because it's just really important that your baby boy is, is protected. That's just how it's supposed to work. I'd like to show you a picture of the helmet that my parents had for me. There it is right there, okay? Um, that's a guy by the name of Butch Goring. If you're a hockey fan, you know Butch because he was famous for his helmet. What you can't see about this particular helmet is that there are actually holes in the top of it. Okay, wrap your head around that. Your baby boy's going out to play a game that involves frozen rubber, sticks, and steel blades, and you put a bucket on his head that has holes in it. It's as if you're saying to him, Grant, don't worry about it. We got your frontal and rear lobe taken care of. You're not going to need any of that stuff in the middle anyway, right? You're going to be just fine. So I'm wearing the wrong color jersey, and I've got that trying to protect my head. My parents are going to be here at 1150, and I'm going to demand answers from them as to why they did that to me. I'm just saying, okay? All right? So I go out to play a game. Wearing the same color jersey as the opposition with that bucket on the top of my head. And I began to learn some valuable life lessons. Lesson number one. When wearing the same color jersey as the opposing team, do not be surprised if your own team tries to kill you. Okay? Think about it. Wrap your head around that. There's some implications for that that will come up later in the, ser later in the series. Lesson number two. When wearing the same color jersey as the opposing team, don't be surprised if your enemy makes your life very, very, very easy because it's confusing as to which team you're actually playing for and perhaps the greatest lesson. When playing a team sport, your jersey actually matters. It actually matters. I joined Team Jesus behind Linden Lanes Elementary School when I was eight years old. And as with most people, when I joined Team Jesus, I didn't always wear my team colors very well. My relationship with Jesus ebbed and flowed. It was on and off. It fluctuated and it shifted as I tried to figure out what does it really mean to follow the real God in the real world in a very real way? Because that's a struggle for all of us. I laid out some of the relational approaches that I experienced in your outline under the heading, my relational journey with Jesus. You probably can't relate to all of them, but you might be able to relate to some. The first one is actually missing from your outline. You can fill it in though. I began with a childlike relationship with Jesus. I think that's the way it's supposed to be. I just started believing, like most kids do, right? Of course Jesus loved me. Of course Jesus heard my prayers. Of course the Bible was true. And I would characterize my relationship then with the word innocent. It was innocent and it was pure. And there's something so beautiful about that trusting, childlike relationship that, that for those of us that have followed Jesus for a really, really long time, we've learned something as adults. We keep trying to recapture that. We keep trying to go back to that childlike wonder because Jesus keeps saying to all of us, unless you change and become like little children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Matthew chapter 18, verse 3. I graduated from childlike faith. I wish I wouldn't have. But graduated from childlike faith into the wrong but very predictable casual relationship, which we see prolific across the world today, especially in Christendom, right? Oh yeah, I love Jesus. Jesus is great. I just don't want him to interrupt my life. I don't want him to interrupt my fun. I have a relationship with Jesus on the side, but the truth is I do what I want, when I want, with who I want, because I want to be the king of my own universe. I want to be my little G God, and I don't want a big G God imposing his standards or, or expectations on my life, because it's just plain too 
hard. I would characterize that relationship as I lived it with the word shallow. It was shallow. When you have a casual relationship with Jesus, Jesus is convenient. He's secondary. He matters, but not that much. And I was challenged in my faith when it felt like Jesus got me by the throat with the words from Titus chapter 1 verse 6. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny Him. Let me read that verse again. They claim to know God. We say it. But by their actions, they deny Him. Sick of a casual connection, I shifted into the wonderful world of a religious relationship. I became a professional Pharisee. My relationship with Jesus became all about following the rules and judging those people that didn't follow the rules. I performed for God instead of walking with God, and I lived out the word that I would use to describe the religious experience. It was empty. It was empty. The Bible's full of conversations between Jesus and religious types, where Jesus keeps saying to religious types, I need you to put down your scorecard. Put down your scorecard and look at your heart and then answer the question, are you in? Or are you out? You know, a religious relationship is all about what, what we do versus true Christianity, which is all about what Jesus has done on our behalf. In my experience, religion was empty, so I shifted to an academic relationship. I mean, surely there was life in the details, the nuances, the hermeneutics, the apologetics, the theology, the philosophy. Surely I could find some life in all of the nuanced details. And so I pressed in and I went really, 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 really deep. And going deep is fantastic, but you'll notice something. The deeper you go, the colder it gets. The colder it gets. And I found myself wrapped in this cold lip service. And I was confronted because I'd open up my Bible and I would see Jesus talking to a group of academics and he would say things like this, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Mark chapter seven. And I began to learn something. The greatest distance in the universe, in my opinion, can be the distance between your brain and your heart. It can be huge. Well, that revelation of that distance prompted a new relationship for me. So I, I shifted to a guilt relationship with Jesus. Satan accused me of never quite getting it right, and I bought everything that he said. And I began to believe something about God. I began to believe that God was either sad or mad when it came to Fishbook every single day of my existence. He was either sad or mad. He was never happy. He was never joy-filled. No, he was just perpetually disappointed. And so my only response was shame. I read 1 Timothy 1.15 where Paul says, I'm the worst of sinners. There's nobody worse than me. And I related to that. I went, absolutely. That makes perfect sense to me. And I totally missed the first part of the verse and the heart of God that says, Christ came into the world to save sinners. So all that stuff piled up on me until a breakthrough came and shook me into what I will call a personal relationship. Can't point to a particular time or incident, but there was a moment. There was a moment when it just broke, this desperation broke, and it got so deep that I made a decision. I was getting ready to cross the line. I wanted to step into the center of the circle. I wanted to put on the right color jersey, the jersey of Team Jesus, and step into a deeper relationship that demanded my life, my soul, and my all. And I wanted to do more than just sing the song. I actually wanted to try and live it. I'd characterize that kind of a relationship as vibrant. Not saying I'm there yet, 
But that's what God promises us when we step and, and we put up our hand and say, I'm in. I'm in. It's a relationship that takes Jesus at his word when he says this, I have come that they may have life and life to the full. Not three quarters, not half, not one third, but to the full and overflowing. Still working on that relationship today, right now, in real time. There are times, I'll be honest with you, I kind of float and I drift away because my relationship with Jesus is like any other relationship. It seems to, to ebb and flow and changes with every single moment. Jesus doesn't change. But in my humanity, I find that I change and move, and, and there are moments when I just absolutely struggle, when I'm at war within my own selfish soul, because Jesus has the audacity to ask me for everything, absolutely everything. And there are times when I'm challenged by that, I'm like, what right do you have? Under whose authority do you get to ask me for everything? Because I did a Greek study on the word everything, and I'll tell you what it means. It means everything. That's what it means. All of it, complete, without reservation, nothing hidden, nothing in the shadows. So I put this stuff in your outline with a bit of hesitation. I put it under the heading, to be on Team Jesus. It, I, I could have called it the demands of discipleship. I also could have called it stuff that I wish Jesus did not say. Because we read this stuff and it's just like, oh, Really? Let me make a confession. You have no idea how badly I want to soften this. You have no idea how much I want to look at this and say, you know what, that's not really what Jesus meant. He actually meant this, and so you can be okay, we're okay, it's okay everybody, let's slap each other a high five, give each other a hug, we're good, we're good, we're good, we're good, we're good everybody. But this is what Jesus said, and I will tell you something about it. In our culture, this is taboo. How dare he? Let's unpack that. According to Scripture, according to Jesus, if you want to step into the most committed center of a relationship with Him, number one, you must love Jesus more than anything. More than your career, more than your car, more than your contemporary idol, more than your family, more than your plan for your life, more than your own life. Listen to what Jesus says. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Luke 14, 26. That's hard, isn't it? I mean, in comparison to loving Jesus, loving my family should actually look like hatred. Now, don't miss Jesus' point here, because I want you to know something. When I love Jesus more than anything, I've learned something. I'm a better husband. I'm a better dad. I'm a better son, I'm a better friend, I'm a better person because loving Jesus more than anything actually makes all of that stuff possible. So God keeps saying, you have to love me more than anything. You have to give me full priority across the board, nothing held back. That's just the first one. It gets harder. Number two, you must deny yourself. Following Jesus means you have to choose to not feed your own selfish agenda and choose his mission over yours. Matthew 16, 24, one of the toughest verses in scripture. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. Now, I want you to understand this, okay? Denial of self is not the same as self-denial. 
Okay, self-denial means foregoing certain foods or pleasures or possessions. And there is a time when Jesus asks us to do exactly that. But denial of self means complete submission to the lordship of Christ. So you're willing to say, this self has no rights at all in God's kingdom. That I relinquish my right to anything. That Jesus has the final say, that Jesus is the final authority, whether I like it or don't like it, that I push all in. And when God says, this is what I want from my follower, that I'm actually willing to say, I'm in. It means I have no will, no agenda, no anything other than what Jesus calls me to. Here's the good news or the bad news, depending on how you look at it. It gets harder. Number three, you must deliberately choose the way of the cross. That same verse, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross. I want us to understand this. The cross is not just a burden that you must bear, okay? It's not like a sickness or a season of pain. A lot of people say that, right? That's the modern phrase, right? Well, that's just the burden that I have to bear. That's not the cross. Carrying the cross of Jesus means you're willing to suffer the shame, the ridicule, and the persecution that Jesus carried for the sake of love. And I want to remind you, this is what makes all of this so unbelievably practical. What drove him to the cross was his love for me and you. That's what pushed him there. It gets harder. You must devote your whole life. Same verse, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Which means this, where Jesus leads, I follow. No matter what, no matter when, no matter where, no matter what it costs, no matter if, no matter why, I choose to follow out of sheer obedience. And I got a question. This is, we're going we're gonna to step from preaching into full-blown meddling. I got a question. Did you lie in church already this morning? I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Though none go with me, Still, I will follow. The cross before me, the world behind me. No turning back. It's heavy, isn't it? To say, I'm going to choose to follow out of sheer obedience. It doesn't get easier, it gets harder. The Bible says that if we're going to be on team Jesus, you must love everyone who belongs to Jesus. John 13, 35, by this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. And that means exactly what it says. It means we can differ on opinion, but we're still called to love each other, even if we don't agree on certain things. That means regardless of personal preference or theological bent or political persuasion, Mac or PC, Ford or Chevy, Seahawks or 49ers, if they love Jesus, you love them. That's the way it's supposed to go. Just like, but I don't want to love those kind of people. Then take off the jersey. One more thing. Jesus loved everyone, even those who weren't his disciples. So I guess that means we're all called to love everybody. Can I get an amen from 930? It gets harder. You must saturate yourself in God's word. Some of you are like, I don't read. I'm like, find another way. I listen to the Bible in my car all the time. You know why? Because I need it. I need it. John 8, 31. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. 
Not if you know it, if you hold to it, which means you not only know it, but you actually obey it. And we get caught up in that, right? It's just like, well, I love Jesus. That's great. I just don't like that part of the Bible because it makes me uncomfortable. I don't like that part of the Bible because it calls me to a different level of commitment. I don't like that part of the Bible because it means I'm going to have to take a pretty tough stand in the midst of a culture that keeps pressing me in a certain way. And so we start arguing with the Word of God. And Jesus keeps saying, if you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. It gets harder. You must give it all up to follow him. Luke 14, in the same way, any of you who does not give up everything, I did a word study. Anybody want to guess what everything means? If you're not willing to give up everything, he cannot be my disciple. So here's the question. Are you willing to give up everything? That's the hard part, right? Because anything that makes you go, that's an idol. That's an idol. Your house, your car, your family, your career, anything that makes you go, well, mm, 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 it's an idol. Okay, can you do me a favor? Can everybody just take a big deep breath? Like just, it's like the air just disappeared out of the room, all right? Stay with me. Stay with me. There are times when I read these seven statements that Jesus made, and I just think to myself, there's no way. Like, this is crazy talk, Jesus. This is not possible. And what's the natural inclination, right? It's not, I'm in. It's, I'm out. I can't, I, I, there's no way I can do that. I mean, how can you ask your kids for so much? Why don't you lower the bar and, and make the minimum requirements just a little bit easier so a lot more people can, can actually make the decision to follow? I mean, that's just it, right? Jesus, you just can't do this in the modern culture. Exactly. None of us can. None of us can do this on our own. You see, there's this standard that God set in the heavens, and the only person in human history that's ever been able to meet that standard was Jesus himself. And now he says, if you want to meet that standard, you can't do it on your own, but you can do it through me. In fact, I'll go over the standard and I'll take you with me. How cool is that? I'll help you meet that standard because you can't do it on your own. This is tough stuff. And there are times, I'll just be honest, I want to unleash on God how we should have made this easier and lowered the requirements, and then I'm reminded of some simple facts. Everything that I just listed to you, Jesus did. He did it. He loved me more than anything. Denied his right to kingship and became like me to save me. He gave up heaven to come here pursuing me and you. Jesus actually chose the cross, devoted his life to save mine, and loves us all regardless of our past or our previous relationships. Jesus was and is the word. He gave it all up so that I could have a personal, vibrant relationship with him. And Jesus is only asking us to do for him what he did for us. I love the fact that I serve a God who always goes first. It's like, I'll go first, and then you follow me. And he calls us to do it within the bounds of of friendship and relationship, not legalism and rules, but to step into a life-giving relationship with the God who calls us to follow where he went. 
So can you hang with me if, just, if we just push in for a little bit deeper? Because I want to just move quickly to a conversation that happens between Jesus and three people who actually wanted to wear the jersey. They wanted to sign up. And it's so interesting to watch how Jesus has that conversation with them. Okay, I called it in your outline, three applications for admission. You could have called it team tryouts if we kept the sports metaphor going, but let's just leave that behind, okay? Three people come to Jesus, submit their resumes, and here's what happens. The Bible says this. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. What's he saying? saying, Jesus, I'm in. Wherever you go, I go. Verse 58, Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man, which was a fancy name for Jesus, he called himself that, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Oh. Oh. So there's no guarantee of a roof if I, if I follow you? That's right. Are you trying to tell me that a fox is actually going to have an upgrade on accommodations compared to what I may have to do if I follow you? Really? Hmm. I'm not sure. And suddenly a heart to commit meets a roadblock. Let me modernize it. You know what, Jesus, I really want to go there, but I got a question first. Are there pillows? Are there pillows? Feathers or memory foam? Cool gel or not? Next support? I need to know. What, there's no pillow? Then I'm going to have to rethink this. Why? Because we want comfort more than we want Jesus. I know that's hard to hear, but I'm, believe me, I am so preaching to myself right now. We want comfort more than we want Jesus. So what's the roadblock? It's the cost of giving up creature comforts. It's just too much. So people are just like, well, that's the deal. I'm not in. I'm out. So for the record, okay, do you have to sleep without a pillow to prove your devotion? No, okay? No, absolutely not. If you've been blessed by God to go to Costco and get one of those really cool gel ones with like the neck cut out and all the rest of it, praise God and be thankful, okay? The question is this, will comfort keep you from following where Jesus wants you to go? Or is that where you just call a timeout? Last night, Saturday night service, a week ago, a young lady named Rachel came and talked to me after the service. She goes, would you pray for me? I'm going back to Kenya, going to Africa. And I'm just like, how old are you? She goes, 19. I'm like, where are you going in Africa? She goes, well... I run an orphanage eight hours outside of Nairobi in the middle of nowhere. I look after 23 to 25 children. I live with them. I sleep with them. I feed them. I, I make sure. I'm, I'm, I'm their mama. She's 19. I'm like, do your parents know about this? She's like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Last night we gathered, a group of us, pastors, elders, just a bunch of people from the churches gathered around this little girl and we prayed over her because she's on her way back. She made a comment to me last night. There's no pillows. And she said it with joy. No pillows, but there's children. God's children. Now, some of you just like, Grand, know exactly what you're doing. You're going to send us all to the other most parts of the earth, right? And that's just really, really scary. Can I tell you something? She's been called to Africa. Some of you have been called to Bellingham. But you've been called into the same level of commitment. That says, are you going to let creature comfort get in your way of following Jesus? Because if so, wrong team. Wrong team. Let's keep going. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. 
Now, that, that doesn't seem to be such crazy talk, right? I mean, look, look at what a good boy he's being. He's going to go and bury his dad. Apparently, his dad died. That's a pretty traumatic thing for his family to go through. I don't have time to break out the cultural weight of this request because here in the Western world, we have a mindset, right? Someone passes away, three to four days later, we have a memorial service, and then we move on. That's just the way it is. But I need you to look at this through the lens of an Eastern mindset. And let me just say this. Okay, I can't break it all out. All I'm going to say is this. This guy is not nearly as noble as he appears, and Jesus is not nearly as cold as he appears. Here's the bottom line. In this culture, this guy is basically saying this. I'm going to have to take care of all of these things first because I need to make sure that I get my inheritance. And if I leave right now, I'm not going to get the money that's sitting inside of that account. So I'm going to need to hang out here. Could have been for two to three years before he was going to be able to follow Jesus. Here's the bottom line. This guy's stalling. He's dictating the timeline. Verse 60, Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Here's what he's saying. You don't get to wait. Don't delay. Don't buy the myth that you can sow your wild oats for a season and then come back to Jesus whenever you feel like it. You need to go now or deal with the fact that your family has actually become an idol. We blow right past the roadblock, right? Do you see the little words in there? First, let me. First, let me. So what's the roadblock? I'm too focused on first let me. So I'm not in, I'm out. Hey God, I'll tell you what, I'm going to follow you once I retire. You got my full commitment once I retire. But in the meantime, here's what needs to happen. First let me get that house because I need to buy it now because the market's tight and I may not have another chance. So for the next decade or so, I'm going to need to work 80 hours a week. But don't worry, Jesus, I'll make sure you get your hour on Sunday morning. Is anybody else feeling uncomfortable right now? It's just like, first let me give my devotion to all the things I like. But don't worry, Jesus, I promise you me, I promise you, you'll get the leftovers at the end of the day. We can have a three-minute conversation just before I go to bed. Help me, save me, bless me. Remember that series? This one's so relevant. It's so convicting to me. Let's move to one more conversation. Verse 61, still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. That does not seem like, a, like too, uh, too high of a request, does it? I just want to go home and say goodbye to mom and dad first. I just got a few things to take care of, and then I'll be right with you, Jesus. Verse 62, Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Here's what this guy's saying. Jesus, I want to follow you, but I have conditions. I got conditions. And if you don't meet the conditions, I'm not in, I'm out. I, I hear people all the time giving conditions. It's like, oh, I want to follow Jesus. I just want to opt out of that sex only inside a marriage thing. That seems a little restrictive to me. And I'd like to take a pass on tithing because that just seems crazy. Why in the world would God ask me to work really hard and then give him 10% right off the top? That's just crazy talk. Also, you know, I, I'd, like to, I'd like to be able to reserve weekends for myself because that's just the way that I want it. And I'd like to trade my mother-in-law in for a player to be named later. That's kind of my conditions, right? What's the roadblock here? The roadblock is I can't get beyond my conditions. So I'm not in, I'm out. And Jesus is still here standing saying, so what you're really saying is, you want to be king. 
you want to look after your little K kingdom so you don't have any room for a big K king who's working a big K kingdom. Can I just ask a burning question? Is it any wonder Jesus has a difficult time keeping followers in the modern world? It's like he's on an anti-membership drive here, right? Like, I'm going to make this so unbelievably difficult for you that only the most committed people are actually going to want to do this. Oh, there it is. Is it any wonder that as a modern culture we created our own world? Or, sorry, created our own road? The Bible says there's two roads, right? There's a broad road that many people walk on, and ultimately it leads to eternal destruction. That's what Scripture says, pretty heavy words. And then there's a narrow road that very few people find. It's difficult, pretty much uphill all of the way, but it doesn't just end. It actually keeps going all the way into eternity and beyond that. And Jesus keeps saying, you can focus on this temporary broad road if you want to, but here's the deal. What are you going to do with the rest of your eternity? Because this is just a blip on the radar compared to what's coming. So what are you going to walk? Are you going to walk on the broad road that leads to destruction? Are you going to walk the narrow road that leads to eternity with Jesus? And as, as modern people, we just look at both of those options and go, I think we're going to make a third road right down the middle. I'm going to make a third road. Here's what I want. I want conditions. So I'm not going to walk that broad road to hell because that sounds very, very daunting. I don't want to do that. So I'm going to create a middle of the road where I get to pick and choose what I want, where I get to pick and choose what parts of the Bible I'm going to obey and other parts that I'm going to blow off. I'm just going to stay here in the middle because it's just so much easier. I mean, I, I want the assurance of heaven, but I don't want to cross completely over onto that narrow road. So I'm just going to take out a, a fire insurance policy where Jesus is my, he's my buddy. He's my friend. He's there when I need him. Just don't mess with my life. We create this middle road. But the Bible says there's only two. A big, wide, broad one that ends in a place that we're going to talk about in the next Taboo series. Somebody said, why didn't you talk about hell? That's taboo. I'm like, oh, let's do that next time around. And this narrow road that seems unbelievably difficult and challenging at times because it presses us, but calls us to a life beyond this life. I understand when we draw a circle like this that it can, it can seem to be pretty exclusive. And I just want to speak for a second. I, I need you to know something. A big part of my journey was this. I followed Jesus from a distance for a long time. Just kind of watching, checking out, seeing whether or not Jesus' followers actually did what the Bible said or not. Just kind of watching. I followed Jesus from a distance for a long time. And I just want to say this to you. If you're still following Jesus from a distance... And that, that, that circle in the middle seems unbelievably difficult. Can I just encourage you to do something? Would you just keep coming along? Because I love you guys. I love the fact that you're not one of these people just like, I'll follow, I'll follow, it's all good, jump inside, it's all good. I would rather you weigh very, very heavily what it is that Jesus is actually asking you. He's asking you for, I would rather you weigh that very, very seriously then just make one of those casual commitments that says, yeah, it's fine. I'll accept Jesus. I just don't want to have to change anything about my life. I just want to encourage everybody. Let's just keep following. Let's wade into this specifically, purposefully. 
Let's engage in the daily process of seeing whether or not God is calling us, actually calling us to push and give and sacrifice and learn. Because I'm going to promise you something. From somebody who, who <laughs> tries to stand in the inner circle, but at times, you know, kind of dances around and it's like a Canadian dancing. That's just really weird. Okay, so... Um, River dance, right? Okay, so. Uh, <laughs> but to someone who sometimes dances outside because it's just really, really tough to stay on the inside, this one thing I know that type of radical commitment creates the greatest adventure of faith that any human being can ever participate in. It's the craziest life you've ever experienced. And it is so full of something that the world does not have, it's so unbelievably full of peace doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. Sometimes you look, that doesn't seem very peaceful to me. That seems radical. Oh, there's an idea. I was reading through the ownership application for our church last week. A couple of years ago, we actually took a long look at whether or not we should just toss the whole quote-unquote membership thing right out the window. Because there was a movement among major evangelical churches to do that, right? Nobody's into membership anymore. I mean, that's something we reserve for Costco, right? That's how it works, right? You know, it's Costco, right? You go in for the $5 chicken, you come out with 200 bucks worth of stuff. That's just how it works, right? And you eat all of the samples so that you don't have to have lunch, right? That's what we do, right? That's, that's membership to us now. We actually considered throwing the whole thing out. And then as a leadership, we prayed about it, and Jesus said, uh-uh. That's just a way to invite people to step closer to the commitment with Jesus in the middle. I read a statement the other day in that particular document, and I looked at it and said, that stuff's tough, but I think it's a good question. It's a question from our core commitments. Am I consistently cultivating my own relationship with Jesus? Am I consistently cultivating my own vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ? Here's another way of asking that question. Am I in or am I out? I'm not asking you to join something. I'm not asking you to sign up yet. I'm just asking, after knowing what Jesus has said, are we in? Are we out? I kept hearing Jesus whisper all week long. Grant, it's been a long time since I've heard you say you're in. That's why I asked Andy to sing that old song. Because I stood back here in the corner and sang it. Because I don't know about you, but I need to remind myself often. I'm in. I'm in. My prayer over the next weeks is that we all just take a simple step towards the center. Knowing that the only person in the center of that circle is Jesus Christ himself. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you for your love for us, for forgiving us when we step in the wrong direction. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for the fact, God, you love those who, who right now are just kind of following from a distance, checking stuff out. God, I thank you that you pursue us even when we say, I'm out. God, I thank you that you never give up. You're always pressing, calling, drawing us to a closer relationship because you so desperately want us to experience it. 
So, Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters as we walk this journey together. And I pray, Lord, ultimately, that we would stand at the foot of your cross, cling to you, and be able to truly mean it when we say, Amen. Lord, would you give us the courage to walk this journey together? We pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said.